Thank you, Pastor Lance. Apparently, it is that day, so there are probably a handful of youth pastors preaching. Um, but hey, I'm super thankful and excited to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, Pastor Lance, thank you for this opportunity. Um, what's super crazy is it's been about a year. Um, we moved up here in March from the Los Angeles area, uh, but I had been in communications with Pastor Lance and with the church um, about beginning of December. And so we had been talking on the phone. I mean, we talked a lot. It was kind of nice because uh, I felt like I got to know him over the phone, and we would FaceTime, and we'd talk about sports. And I was like, I like this guy. Okay, I can do this. If I'm going to move from California to Washington, it's got to be with a guy like this. And so uh, we had been talking, and then we actually planned our first visit uh, just this past January. And I think we came up like the 9th or something, and it was in the middle of 21 United, which we had actually um, been like we partook in that with you guys, if you guys didn't know, that was really cool because we weren't even officially here. Um, but we did 21 United and we were watching the messages online. And we sat like in the third row right there. And the Ericsons, our children's pastors, were sitting right behind us. And after church, we turned around and we started talking to them. And little did we know, they were interviewing for one of the positions. And I turned around, I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm interviewing for the youth pastor position. And so we actually headed off with them right away. And then I think Lance had told me just a few, like, couple days later, hey, that couple you're talking with, like, they're going to be our children's pastors. And so um, it's been super fun. We love it here. We love your kids. Where are any, are you, any of our youth kids, students, or leaders at? If you're here, can you just raise your hand, wave at me, make me feel better about myself? Thank you. Yes. Can we clap for the youth? Sometimes it can be harder than we think for some of these people sitting in the main sanctuary. So it's a, it's a big thing when they're all here. Hey, it's a really good week. It's week 17 of the NFL season. Uh, for those of you that do not know, I'm a Miami Dolphin fan, so my season was over three weeks ago. Go ahead and boo me. It's okay. I'm used to this. My season ended. My season is usually over realistically like week eight. That's how my season ends. I was talking to Lance this morning, and we we're talking about the Dolphins, and uh, he told me, he's like, hey, he goes, and he was very sensitive. This is how serious it is. He was sensitive in his, in his questioning, but he said, Hey, have, have they ever been good since you've been alive? But he didn't say it, like, to spite me. He was genuinely asking, like, hey, have you ever seen them good? And I have not. We've made the playoffs twice. <laughs> the first year we made the playoffs, Tom Brady broke his leg. So thankful for whoever did that that year. Uh, we made the playoffs, and we got smoked by the Steelers. And then last season we made the playoffs, and we got waxed by the Steelers again. So if there's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan in here, um, thank anybody? Steelers? Yeah, there you go. Okay. So you know our team really well. But uh, that usually happens. And so it's really pointless for us to make the playoffs because we lose in Pittsburgh. And so it's okay. I'm totally content. My Super Bowl is the offseason. Um, hey, but you Seahawks fans have a big game today. We will pray for them in a little bit. I'll pray for them. I'll partner with you guys in this. Um, and we will pray against the enemy and the Atlanta Falcons because we need them to lose, right? Okay. Hey, I will root for the Seahawks in the playoffs with you guys. So we'll do that. But we'll, we'll pray for them uh, in a minute. But is that okay? Can we pray for the Seahawks? Right? It's clearly God's team, obviously. All the sin in Miami. My goodness. But hey, we're going <laughs> to uh, focus on the Bible now. Hey, we're going to be reading out the book of Luke. The book of Luke. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We'll have it up on the screens. Um, to give you guys a little context of what is actually happening, 
uh, in this passage. Uh, it's about Martha and Mary. How many of you guys know a Martha and Mary story? Super common, popular story. Okay. So we're going to talk about this, kind of discuss the two different personalities of Martha and Mary. Some of you are Marthas, some of you are Marys. Some of you need to learn how to be the other one. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but before this happens, Jesus is, is in his ministry. He's got all his 12 disciples, and, and they're traveling from city to city, village to village. And they're on their way into Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, they stay at a house, and the house is Martha and Mary's house. And so this is where this starts off. In verse 38, I'm going to read 38 to 42. It's just four verses in the New Living Translation. It says this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on the way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha... Welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. That would have driven me nuts. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Uh, the title of my message this morning is The Beauty in Nothing. Finding the Beauty in Nothing. Can you guys pray with me? God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to be gathered here this morning, Lord. We just ask that your presence is here. I pray that these words you've placed in my heart, God, are your words and not mine. God, if this can just impact one person, just let that be, Lord. We thank you so much, God. Lord, we lift up the Seahawks to you. It's not my team. It's clearly your team, and we pray for your favor over them. We pray for health and safety going into the playoffs. And God, just have your way with the Philistines and the Atlanta Falcons. In Jesus' name, amen. Go Seahawks. Okay, hey, so it's really hard for me to say. <laughs> NFC, it's okay. Hey, I'm a halfie. We have any halfies in here? By halfie, I mean half Mexican, half white. Is there a ha- Are there any Mexicans in here? One of my leaders. Anybody else? This is way different than Los Angeles. If I said this in California, everybody's hands go up. Even the white people raise their hands because they don't want to stick out. You eat like one in California. If you eat like a Mexican, California Mexican. Okay, I'm a half. I'm a halfy. I'm a, I'm half Mexican, and so I have a good balance. My dad's side is very American. Like by American, I mean like it's it is weird. There's some. It's odd. Uh, so my dad's side of the family. My dad's uh, the, my white side of the family, and. And they get along, so it's great. Uh, but my dad's side's very much like ACDC, Tim McGraw, Budweiser. Uh, that's my dad's family. They love the Lord. It's great. But that's my dad's side. And then my mom's side is very Hispanic. Uh, my grandma and my mom and my sister and my niece and my grandpa, we all live in the same house. I lived in that house. And so it's just a different culture of people. But, but one of the things that's super cool about being uh, Mexican in Lorenzo, I guess you're the only other Mexican in here. You probably you probably had this. Uh, you're born with a Mexican grandma, and Mexican grandmas are amazing. Uh, I know all grandmas are amazing, but Mexican grandmas in particular are just super super incredible people. They love to cook. But my grandma, my grandma is like your typical, your stereotypical Hispanic older Hispanic woman. Uh, she never stops talking and she never stops moving. And she can be the most horrifying person you've ever met in your life if you do something to wrong her or someone she loves. That's nice. you got like your own pit bull with your grandma. And so that's my grandma. And so my grandma, though, is a super busy, busy, busy person. And it's interesting growing up in that house because I lived with her for a while. Uh, when my uncle, my uncle's a pastor in Spokane now, but he would fly into town. 
And my Uncle Gary is playing with land on a Tuesday morning. It'd be Tuesday. Like, okay, Uncle Gary's fine on Tuesday. You, I can, you can bet your house that my grandma the Saturday before is cleaning her house and cooking food already. Because my Uncle Gary's coming into town. Now, being up here in Washington, uh, we've taken two trips down. And I know when I call my grandma, hey, Christine and I are coming into town. I know three days in advance she's vacuuming. She's picking the couch up. She's like 73, but she acts like she's like 40 because she's not, she hasn't slowed down. And so she's vacuuming things and she cleans the bathroom. And that's just how she is. That's what she does. But what's, what's kind of annoying, and she'll probably listen to this at some point. And so I love you. And this is, it, it gets better, I promise. Um, but the thing with my grandma is she doesn't ever stop. Like, she's just always on the go. And, and my wife has learned this now. So what happens is, is we'll go over in our plane lands and this is anybody, anybody she loves, she does this for. Plane lands, and, and you drive, and one of the beautiful things about landing in California is when you get there, you pass this fast food restaurant that's, uh, that's it's yellow and red and white, and it's not McDonald's. It's not McDonald's. What is that? What, where do we go? In and out, okay? So when, when you're on the way home, you pass, I mean, they put one right at LAX, like, just to get you right there. But you usually, the, you know, the people who know, you don't go to that one because it's busier and it's more expensive. So for those of you who don't know, that one is docked up in price. More expensive because people stop there. But anyways, you pass, like, three, four, five, and you can kind of say no to one. But when you get to, like, the sixth one, you have to stop. You get in and out. Here's the problem, though. When you, when you stop, you get in and out, and then you go to my grandma's house. I haven't seen her in months. She opens the door. Mijo, I've made food. I have to eat my grandma's food now. Because I know, because I know her, she's been prepping this. I mean, she's had the beans cooked on low since like 5 in the morning. That's how she does things. It's the same thing. She makes carne asada, beans and rice. It's amazing. And I love it. Yes. Amen. So good. That's what she does dilly dilly. So that's, that's what she does. And so I get in there and, and immediately I'm stuck with this issue of like, oh, my goodness. Like, I don't want to eat. And my poor grandma, she knows this, but she can't help herself. She knows that we eat. Even when my cousins come in at a time, my grandma, you realize they're probably in and out right now. Oh, but th- if they're not, they're going to be hungry. And so we are forced to eat this meal, this huge meal, uh, on a full stomach. And it's okay. It's great food. And, and I really wouldn't trade it for the world, to be honest. But, you know, this last trip we took, um, we were getting ready to leave. And I kind of had a moment with, like, within myself. And my grandma had made a comment. And it wasn't bad. And nothing, it was, yeah, it wasn't bad at all. But she had said, like, kind of with her sad grandma face, she was like, Mijo, it just goes by so fast. I was telling her, we were here for 10 days. Like, it, it, was, it didn't go by that fast, but if she could have stopped doing stuff, we would have been able to have just a moment or a few moments where we were just sitting together. And so I struggled with this thought internally because I was, to be honest, a little bit frustrated with just kind of that thought process. I'm like, Grandma, we, just sat, we were sitting here outside. You could have sat down with us. But you can't stop. Like, when, we, when I say she can't stop, she'll have the table set up, and there'll be seven plates, and you'll count eight heads. And you know that she didn't set up a plate for herself. She won't sit down at the table. Let Grandma sit down. We can tell her, we'll move, and she'll leave the open space. She still won't sit down. So you take a sip of your water, and she'll refill it. Like, Grandma, don't do that. Like, I can't, it's already overflowing on the table. you got to stop. You finish your burrito, and she just wraps another one. There it is on your plate. Like, I didn't ask for this, but six deep, might as well. And that's how she functions. My grandma, if you just slowed down, if you just stopped and did nothing, it wouldn't go by so fast. And as I was thinking about this, the thought popped in my head. This thought popped in my head. Do I do that with God? Do I do that with God? I think that's like most of us today. We, we are always busy doing something. 
I don't even, I'm not even really sure why. But we're always busy doing something, being distracted. It doesn't even, I'm not even talking about just particularly with Jesus. I'm talking about life itself. We have to, we have to be busy. Our hands have to be doing something. We have to be in on some information about something. Or, or we need to be talking something out. We just are always doing something. It's kind of weird because I'm, I'm 27 years old. And I'm kind of caught in this weird generational thing where I remember, I remember our world when it was not this busy. Like, it wasn't even that long ago. I, I do remember, like, I remember my family, like, we would sit down on the couch and just stare at each other. I don't even remember what we talked about. But it was okay. That's what we did. We just, we just did nothing. It was okay to not have the TV on. It was okay to not, well, back then he didn't have cell phones. But, but it was okay to not be, to not be doing something. Going back to the cell phone, I do think that uh, this is a big problem. As a youth pastor, I'll tell you this is a huge problem. <laughs> this is a huge problem. This and fidget spinners uh, are big problems. But a cell phone, how many of you guys have ever, like, misplaced your cell phone? Right? And what happens? You have a heart attack? You, you freak out. I mean, especially, and it might be worse for me because I'm, I'm a little younger. I, I, I'm, I, I like having my phone around me, and it is something I have to work through. Uh, for, I told you guys that a little marriage story real quick a, a couple months ago. Um, this is how I am with my phone and the busyness that I'm, like, attached to. Uh, uh, we, we are n- still newlyweds, and so getting out of the house on time is a struggle. And one of us is better at it than the other. Um, <laughs> It's me. Um, <laughs> okay, so here we go. So here, okay, so so we're scrambling. We're trying to put our our huge massive dog away so he doesn't eat our house, and we're doing all these things and and everything's which he's out by the way. We have him out of the crate right now, so he could be eating our furniture. Um, so hopefully not. Pray for us later. But we're scrambling. We're trying to get out of the house, and and we're running behind. And in this chaos, my wife who I love dearly with my entire heart, always will, baby, um, she goes, hey, hon, I have your phone. I, I'm a guy. So if you tell me, hey, I have your phone, to me, that means that she actually has my phone, right? That's, that's what she said. You said you have my phone, so you have my phone. So we're scrambling, running in the car. I'm already kind of stressed out and a little frustrated that we're running behind, and we get about halfway to where we're going, and I go, hey, hon, where's my phone? She goes, I left it on the table. <laughs> but you said you had it. I did have it. I left it on the table for you. My God, but you never told me that you left it on the table. And I'm not kidding. And I have these moments that I'm working through this now. We're like, why am I so addicted to this stupid phone? Because it just keeps me busy and distracted. But God forbid I, I can't check ESPN. Can't, I get all my notifications, or I can't go on social media. I can't go on Twitter and just refresh the page looking for Miami Dolphin rumors that we're going to trade for Tom Brady. I can't do any of that stuff, and I have nothing to busy myself with. So what am I going to do? So the, and we can talk to you guys later, right? So we got in a little bit of fight. We got in a fight about this. Like, it was a, we got an argument. Pretty tough. I mean, we're bumping heads. We're upset. So, hon, you told me you have my phone. She's like, I didn't. I sat on the table for you. So we, we kind of have our spat. We sat the second half of the ride in silence after that. <sighs> Very sad. Hey, but the, but the worst thing happened to me. Get out of the car. She gets out. I get out. I'm upset. Look down, and my phone is on my seat. <laughs> oh, boy, right? Oh, man. <laughs> and I was the aggressor here. I was upset. 
My phone's on my seat. So somewhere in that chaos, I had, and my wife, and I know she knew that, that if he sees this here, I have it. She put it there for me. He'll just grab it without knowing on his way out. So I did what any really good, honest husband would do. I didn't tell her right away. <laughs> have my phone. It's like I, my, heart, my heart rate went down because I'm like, okay, I got my phone. I'm going to be okay. Everything's fine. World's in order. Like, I'm good. I got my phone. But now I have this dilemma of, like, I got to fix things with my wife. How am I going to do this? Like, I'm thinking, like, oh, my goodness. So I ran from it like Jonah. I'm like, I ain't dealing with this. I don't want to do this. Like, if she doesn't know, I literally in my mind was like, I'll just have to put it in my, in my backpack all day. She doesn't see it sticking out of my pocket. Like, I was scheming. I was. I was like, how do I? I got to keep it hidden so she doesn't see it because then she's going to know. And then I have to beat her up into the house and put my phone on the counter and be like, babe, this is what I wanted to do. Like, I, this is terrible. I'm a pastor, and I'm thinking this way. I'm like, how do I beat her to the house? Like, you know, and so, but, you know, later on, Lord convicted me. I walked up to my wife. I'm like, hey, I love you. You're beautiful. You're so amazing. You're gorgeous. Those new shoes. That's what I did. I like, you have to, like, you guys know. You got to, like, come on. Let's have a little landing pad here. So, oh, you know what's funny? <laughs> what? No, not there yet. But I was like. It's like, hey, you know what's really odd? <laughs> Such a blessing. <laughs> I have my phone. I grabbed it. It's kind of a random side story, but it goes to show that I'm so, like, in need of this busyness. It's just, it's just busyness. It's all it does. It just distracts me from what is the important things that are going on around me. To go back to the passage I want to give you guys a little background context of, of the personalities and, and, and Martha and Mary here. Back in these days, it would have been the duty of the homemaker to prepare the house and the meal uh, for her guests that were coming over. And that was Martha. Martha was the oldest of the two sisters. So Martha's preparing the house. And, and so I imagine if, if Martha's anything like my grandma, which in scripture it kind of seems like she's like my grandma, we know that Martha was probably cleaning the house Days in advance before Jesus showed up. Now, Martha wasn't preparing a meal for herself and for Mary and for, for Jesus. Martha was actually preparing a meal in a house for herself, for Mary, for Jesus. And he had 12 minions that followed him everywhere. Those were his disciples. And for those of you that don't know, they were all about between the ages of 14 and 25 years old. How many of you guys got one of those things living in your house right now? All right? Yeah? I'm really sorry. It, it'll go by fast. And then they'll come back and just love on you. It's the best. But hey, he's got 12 of those guys following him around. And so, of course, Martha's stressed out. She's preparing a meal. It's Jesus. I mean, of all people coming over, it's Jesus. So, yes, someone like her is going to be busy. I can only imagine how much my grandma would be scrambling to get our house clean if Jesus was coming. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I probably would leave. I probably wouldn't have to be there because, one, I'd probably feel neglected. It's like, Grandma, it's me. <laughs> You're ignoring me. But, but I can't even imagine. So, obviously... Martha and her personality and what we gain from this passage, Martha was probably a little on edge and a little stressed out and a little caught up in what she was supposed to be doing. But then we have then we, then we have Mary. Uh, Mary was very chill. Uh, for those of you who clock in a little bit on the higher number scale in age, chill doesn't mean cold anymore. Chill means laid back means just kind of go with the flow. And so Mary was more chill. And in the passage it says Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, literally just kind of just sitting there 
doing nothing. And, and Mary is the type of person where, where you can change plans on her, and it's not a big deal. Uh, you can kind of just expect Mary to go with the flow, and everything's good. And She's probably like the last person in the room. Is that for me? Thank you. Dave Wade, everybody. Mary's probably the last person in the room to call 911. That's how Mary is. Mary's just chill and go with the flow. And so now we have these two sisters and Jesus, and we have this issue. I want to go into a little side note here, but the significance of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. In that day and age when there was a teacher and he had followers and disciples, uh, the, the space that we refer to as the feet of Jesus was a space designated for only the most serious uh, followers and disciples of a teacher. And, and in that time, uh, being a woman, uh, that was usually not acceptable for a woman or, you know, even a, young, a younger girl to be in that spot. And to be honest, if it had been any other Jewish man or leader, religious or non-religious at all, she would have most likely been dismissed from where she was at. And so I want you guys to notice the impact of what is actually happening. We have Martha who's doing everything that she's supposed to be doing. And we have Mary who, whether she realized it or not, it might have just gone right over her head. She doesn't seem like the type of person who'd catch on that she shouldn't be there. Um, But Mary is sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Again, I want to emphasize that Martha's not doing anything wrong. Again, how how Mary's going against the culture, Martha's actually... um, Meeting the expectations and the standards of what she's supposed to do culturally. Socially, like that's her job. And, and I have a feeling that Martha was probably really good at hosting. That's just kind of what we get is, is Martha was probably really, really good at hosting people. But she was busy. She's just busy. I think today we have a ton of people, a, an entire Almost, I'll take our country, our nation. We're caught in this busyness. We're, we're caught in this, in this cycle of having to meet expectations and always having to meet these standards. And we kind of just create and cultivate our own world at chaos, trying to stay busy because we think if we're busy, maybe we'll find our purpose. That's what Martha was doing. We have people busy today, I'll tell you, as a youth pastor. Like, these are a lot of things that I spend a lot of time and, I mean, I enjoy them myself, but working with students and teenagers and young adults, social media is busy. It's a busy thing. If you see your kid just looking at their phone, sitting on the couch, they're busy. And if parents, if you feel you need to step in on even that stuff, like, step in because they're just busy. They're just losing themselves in something else. Social media, people are busy. At work, you get busy and lost and distracted in work. Yeah, it, it, you might have to go to work to supply for your family, but are you having moments where you're not focused on always taking the next step or moving up the ladder? Are you busy and distracted? Are you losing yourself in the busyness of your work? Family is another one, unfortunately. <laughs> family can just be busy. You can get distracted and lost in family dealing with with family and family's family and in-laws and all these other things. You can get distracted and lost in that. TV and sports. I didn't realize how distracted I was by sports until I got married. I, I, it's a real thing. I, I find that I lose myself in these moments if I'm not careful and cautious when it comes to the time I'm spending in these things. Fashion and the way you look can also be another escape, another way of just always being busy. How do I look? Do I feel good? Am I okay? Like, that's just a distraction. 
Now, all those things that I'm talking about, they're not necessarily bad, right? Like, social media can be good. It's a good way to stay connected. Work, obviously, it's necessary. We have to work to, to keep ourselves healthy, to keep our families healthy. Television and sports aren't bad in doses. Small doses, guys. <laughs> and I'm working on that, too. There's nothing wrong with those things, but, but they become wrong when we can't stop doing them. We can't set them down and we can't look where. We can't be okay without them. In Luke 10, Jesus is on his way, and like I said earlier, Mary's, Mary's uh, or I'm sorry, Martha is getting the house ready. I have a feeling, given what happens in this passage, I have a feeling that while Martha's preparing the house before Jesus is there, Mary's probably not doing a whole lot. Mary's probably still just kind of chilling. She's probably hanging out. There's clearly some pent-up annoyance in Martha to push her to the point where pretty much as soon as Jesus gets there, she's like, hey, she's not doing anything, and she should be helping me. It says in verse 38, Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. That's part of her, her job as the host and the homemaker, welcoming Jesus into her home. And then just two verses later, it says this, Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So much so that she actually came up to Jesus. She said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. She was already annoyed with her sister. What's amazing is Jesus' response to Martha in this moment. This is what he says. Martha says, Jesus, like I'm doing everything Mary's doing nothing, and it, you know, why is Mary doing nothing? Well, I'm doing everything, and Jesus takes that question and basically says this back to Martha. Mary has found everything in the nothing, and you're finding nothing in the everything. Jesus says in the passage, there's one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary's found it. The one thing Mary found in that moment of doing nothing. And Martha, who's scrambling to find purpose, to find value, just to meet the expectations that have been placed on her, is scrambling for something. I think we relate to this so much in our walk with Jesus. Every moment, even for me, I'm always doing something. When Jesus just needs a moment with me where I'm doing nothing. If I can be a little vulnerable with you, I mean, I have this, this phone for it's super helpful. But, but for me, this is my biggest distraction. There are times when I become so anxious, so stressed, overwhelmed. I'm a pastor, but I am human. These things happen to us. I get so stressed out, and without a shadow of a doubt, I know that I just need to spend time doing nothing with Jesus. And it sounds easy, but my flesh defaults to this. Because there's something in me that might be a little afraid of doing nothing. Because when I'm doing nothing, I have control over nothing. I'm not in control. But Jesus, what are you going to do if, if, if I'm just here by myself? Are you going to expose my weaknesses? Am I going to crumble from within because I have control of nothing? When I go to my grandma's, sorry. When I go to my grandma's and I watch her work again, I wouldn't trade, seriously, the food. Don't ever take it away. I love it. Love it. I'm 27. My grandma's 73. Got a wife, baby on the way, little dolphin fan. 
I used to, when, my, when I was little, my dad used to say, we're going to watch the Miami Dolphins. I thought when he said Miami, he was saying they were his. So I used to, say, I used to ask my dad, are we going to watch your Miami play? A little side note. Maybe Jaden will do that, hopefully. But, but now where I'm at in life and I spend time with my grandma and I go to the house, the last thing that matters to me is what she's doing for me. It doesn't matter. Just spend time with us. Don't do anything. Had this moment. Say, Grammy, can you just do nothing? I felt convicted because I hear Jesus asking me, Justin, can you just do nothing? Are you okay doing nothing with me? You don't have to prove yourself. You don't got to be somebody. Stop looking to the left. Stop looking to the right. Just focus on me and find your purpose in me. We have a generation of Marthas, and it's good. Marthas are good. Marthas are necessary because if it wasn't for Marthas, nothing would ever get done. Because Mary doesn't do a whole lot. This is being honest. Marthas, we need you. But you have to be okay doing nothing to find that moment. Likewise, Mary's, you can't always do nothing. I think that's a tendency that Martha, or Mary's have. It's just me. I'm just Mary. I just sit at the feet of Jesus. You sit at the, at the feet of Jesus to find something, to go do something. That's why you're at the feet of Jesus. You can't always stay there. They're both necessary, but I want to be frank with you. Your purpose in life is not found in the business of the day-to-day. Your purpose in life is found in the presence of Jesus. In Him alone. It's the only place you'll find your purpose. Are we caught in the busyness? There's a church. Are we caught in the busyness? Are we trying to run from the moments that we need? Isn't it interesting how when you're busy, when you're distracted, time goes by fast. Sometimes that's nice. It is nice. But do we want to be distracted and do we want to be busy and have our time go by fast with Jesus? Because we do that. And so as we close, I just, I want to pray for, for both groups, whoever you identify with. You might be a Martha and you might need merry moments. You might, you might be Mary and you might need to get off of your high end and go do something, be like Martha. But I want to pray for both of those groups right now. Is that okay? God, I just thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning, God. God, right now I pray for the Marthas. God, I pray for the people that are just busy. Just trying to meet your standards, trying to meet your expectations, God, or the expectations and standards of the people around them. God, I pray that chains are broken and that the ability to just do nothing with you is found, God. And that your purpose for the lives of people in here is revealed in those moments. God, I pray for the people that identify as Mary's, God. God, I pray that you just ignite a fiery passion in their hearts, God, to serve you and to do something about it. God, we love you, Lord. We thank you so much for this opportunity, God. We give these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen.